Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Weekly Stoke. I know it's been a little bit and a short hiatus, but I'm really excited to be back and bring you all some new content, starting with today. So as we know, ski racing is already a pretty demanding sport. Not only do you have to dial in your technique, your equipment, your fitness, but there's also a piece of the pie that sometimes goes missing, and that's the mental side. So that's why I'm thrilled to bring in our guest today, Dr. Jim Taylor, who's going to help us with a little bit of insight into the mental side of ski racing, some practices, and really just his thoughts on how this can elevate your game. So Jim Taylor here, thank you so much for coming on. Not only are you a veteran on the hill, but your techniques and teachings are now known really everywhere in the ski racing world. So I'm excited to share this with the SYNC community. So thank you so much. Um, my pleasure, Parker. Uh, obviously, being a fellow Berkey, um, you never lose that. I'm, and I've known you for many years and you're uh, the epitome of uh, mental toughness and resilience. So um, we'll have a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, thanks, Jim. And I think it's important to just like start this off. Can you go into a little bit about your ski racing, your career, and then how you got into the mental side and sports psychology? Sure, sure. So um, I entered Burke as ninth grader uh, when I was 13. Um, I, was, I was four foot nine, 89 pounds, which I know, Parker, you can appreciate um, small stature. And um, I, had, I had no potential. Nobody thought I would make it very far. In fact, one coach um, said long after I left Burke that he figured if I made it to the Vermont State Championships, that'd be a heck of a career for me. And as you well know, the Vermont St. Championships is nothing really to aspire to, um, with all due respect. Um, but um, I worked hard and I used uh, the strengths that I had, which was my mind, my intelligence, and my, the, the athleticism I did have within my small packaged body, and um, worked my way up and, um, and uh, ended up making the bottom of the US ski team, competing internationally, um, being a captain at Middlebury. Uh, for me, it was a very satisfying career, despite not achieving my goal, like many of us, to be the best in the world. Um, but the real turning point for, for me was when I was 17 mentally, um, up until that point, I was, I was a decent ski racer. I was about 40th in the nation. Um, pretty good. Um, but I had no confidence in myself, no belief used to be super nervous. Basically when I got on the starting gate, I knew I was going to screw up and I almost did okay, despite myself. And that summer I took a summer college class, um, in Connecticut near my home, um, that introduced me to a lot of the techniques and information that I, that I share with the athletes I work with and that I write about. And I applied those strategies primarily, um, and most powerfully mental imagery to my scheme all through the summer, all through the fall. And just as a quick side note, when I first started doing imagery in my mind, I couldn't make it five gates in my head without hooking a tip. It was like hook, 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 hook. And what that showed to me was a fundamental lack of confidence in my belief as a ski racer. And it expressed itself not only on the hill, where I DNF at least three quarters of the time, um, but also in my own imagery, which you think, well, you should be able to picture whatever you want, right? Well, no, because imagery taps in your unconscious. Anyway, that next, next year, I had my breakout year. Um, went to the top 20 in the nation, uh, again, qualified for the U.S. Ski Team Development Squad. Um, I was in the top five of every slalom I was in, except, unfortunately, U.S. Nationals, which, what did I do there? I hope you did. And I, again, went on to some pretty good successes um, after that. And so, so when I got to Middlebury, um, I took a intro psych class like everybody does when they get to college. And it's, um, the way I put it is that, that sports psychology didn't, I didn't choose sports psychology. It chose me and it just grabbed me. And it's been my life's passion for way more decades than I'd like to admit. And, um, and it's something that brings me incredible joy and satisfaction, being able to share my, my own lessons as an athlete and as, as a, as a mental coach, um, to the many, um, ski races that I worked with over the years and that I still work with. 
Well, you brought up a bunch of really good points, and I think that we're going to have to hit all of them because there's just so much information in there that just can be so beneficial really even quickly for most athletes because not only is confidence key, but things that you can add to your confidence to believe in yourself in the start gate is something that will help you go much faster. So I think then let's start with visualization. You mentioned this idea of mental imagery, which I've always been told is like visualization, being able to see yourself go through the course and work your way through. Can you explain that a little bit, what it does and how it really taps into that unconscious? Sure. Well, um, mental imagery, it's also called visualization. You can call it whatever you want, um, is probably one of the most researched areas of sports psychology. And it's been found to have a a huge impact on us psychologically, um, but not just psychologically. So it's been shown to be able to increase motivation, build confidence, um, help you get to your ideal physical intensity, focus better, manage emotions, all these other areas. And what's really important about it is that, that it's not just something that goes on in your mind. It's in fact something that, that goes on physiologically. So for example, there's been research that has shown that just imagining yourself in your skills, doing like making turns, improving your skills, you actually get better technically. Um, one of the wildest pieces of research recently is um, they had people imagine themselves lifting weights, doing arm curls. And Parker, what do you think happened? They get really strong. Well, they got stronger. They got stronger just by imagining. And, and I always tell the athletes, when I tell athletes the stories, I say, don't go to your conditioning coach and say, oh, Dr. Jim says I don't have to do conditioning. I just need to imagine myself doing conditioning. Um, you still need to do the conditioning. But what it says is that imagery is not just a mental thing. It's an actual mental and physical thing that, that connects with all your motor programs, um, all your technique, your tactics, all those things. And I, and I know when I started doing imagery, and with the athletes I work with now, the races I work with now, um, I'd, I'd imagine myself running a course and my legs would start moving unconsciously as if I was actually skiing. So I was fooling my body into thinking I was actually skiing. So how do racers who really haven't practiced or really heard of this skill before get into using it so that they can start to feel their legs moving under their bodies? Because I know from practice that it's not that easy, that it takes no. a little while to get it going and get really comfortable using that skill. Right. It's definitely a skill that takes time to practice and you get better at it. Some people are are immediately really good imagers. Other people take um, some time to get used to it. But the key is to with any type of training, whether mental or physical, is consistency. And so if people want, they can email me and I can send them a workbook and um, and some audio MP3 files um, for 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 free um, that uh, that they can use to help guide them. And but the main thing is to just lie there and take a couple of deep breaths and close your eyes and see yourself making some turns, maybe starting with free skiing and then work your way into gates and then have, have a goal you want to work on. Like I'm going to work on, um, get, um, you know, being patient at the top of the turn or, or, or make quick transition across from gate to gate. Um, and the more you do it, the better you get it. And, and imagery is powerful both on the hill. And of course, if you ever watch the Olympics or the start of a world cup, um, what's every single ski racer up there doing. And some are going like this, some are kind of going like this, some are in between. Um, but it's, it's the off-hill consistency. Um, I call it um, weightlifting for the mind because just like you go into the gym multiple times a week to get your body stronger, you should do imagery multiple times a week to get your mind stronger. I think that's a really easy way already that anybody who is watching right now gets to see that there is a quick and easy fix to just getting that mind just a little bit stronger, building that confidence, as you said. So really moving to the next thing, a lot of times you hear the classic ski racing line, I train better than I race. 
I've heard it time and time again. I've even felt it a lot of times that you're like, wow, I'm a really sick trainer. But bummer is you really need to be a great racer. Do you have any like skills or practices that people could use to help that? Sure. Well, Parker, that is the number one challenge for ski racers. And it's so frustrating for them because it's like it is, if, if you're skiing fast and training, there's no objective reason why you shouldn't ski fast and races. But there's a difference between training and races. Races matter. Training doesn't matter, meaning, you know, you don't get fist points. You don't get podiums, trophies, things like that. And in that transition from it's just training to, oh, my gosh, it's a race. And this is where it's less about skills, mental, mental tools um, than it is about attitude. Because I work with a lot of young racers who are, who are basically confident and they're motivated and they know how to focus and they know how to prepare. They've got good routines, but they go into the race with some mental, some mental obstacles. And some of the most common ones are perfectionism. Like this run needs to be perfect. Um, fear of failure, epidemic, the number one obstacle. Instead of going in to see how fast they can ski, they think, oh my gosh, what happens if I ski poorly? Or what happens if I don't top 10 or, or get good points? So they're skiing out of threat. And then what results from there is expectations. I, and and not, not like, oh, I want to do well today, but I have to do well today or something bad is going to happen. So, so much of my work is about changing those attitudes because what all of those do, all of those three obstacles create is, is what I call a threat reaction. And when you're in threat mode, you're like this. You're tight, you're holding your breath, you're trying to, you're basically trying to flee. And when I talk about fleeing, I don't mean jumping out of your skis in the start and running away, but I mean skiing cautiously, skiing tentatively, skiing scared because you feel threatened. Instead of perceiving it as a challenge, it's like, what an opportunity. Oh my gosh, I'm going to rip it today. Or it's unbelievably difficult conditions. Well, you know what? I grew up in Vermont, in your, in your case, in my case. And um, so this is just, this is like a day at the beach. Um, it's a little harder for, for Western skiers, but they're, they're very good at that as well. They, they, they have their own challenges. Um, so it's really about shifting those obstacles into, into healthy attitudes of, I don't need to be perfect. The best ski racers in the world make multiple mistakes every run. Um, if I fail, you know what? I'm going to be okay. I'll be disappointed, but you know, I'll probably go to college and have a good life. Um, and then get rid of these expectations and sh shifting them to goals of, you know what, I I'd like to make top 10 today, or I'd like to be on the podium, or I'd like to get under 50 fist points. But then how do I go about doing that? What do I need to focus on right now to get myself ready, to get in the gate, to go full gas? So you alter your mindset and it makes it so all of a sudden you're just ready to go. And I think that that's something that a lot of people will benefit from because yes, this idea of skiing is definitely not going to be as great as if you're pushing the front of the boot and really trying to dive down the hill. So moving forward, you talked about routines a little bit, and I think routines are pretty cool because sometimes you have a day where you're running all over the place and everything seems out of whack but you could get into your routine and put everything back into your control. What do you really think about routines and how that helps the mental side? Yeah, absolutely. After, after imagery, I would say routines may be the second most important and valuable uh, mental tool. Um, I've worked with athletes from juniors to up into Olympians who are in, um, in uh, Tokyo now, professional athletes. I don't know an athlete at, any at that level who doesn't have a clearly defined routine because routines provide a couple of benefits. First of all, they ensure total preparation. And ultimately that's the goal. When you get in the gate, ultimately all you can do and say is I'm as ready as I can be 
to achieve my goals and ski fast. And if you're not ready, to be honest with you, I don't have any sympathy for you because, because preparation is the one thing that you can control. And so my gosh, make sure you do it. And the fact is so many young racers don't. So routines ensure total preparation. Also, they ingrain consistency in your mind and your body. So whatever the situation is, you suggested, there can be chaos going around you, or you can be in, you can be in Slovenia where you don't speak the language and, and it's totally unfamiliar, but you go through your routine, it's like, oh yeah, this is what I do to get ready. And a third really valuable thing is there are three things that human beings do not like. Going back to the days on the Serengeti 250,000 years ago, and that's something I talk about all the time, um, because we like to think that we're these highly evolved beings with these things up here called the cerebral cortex that separate us from animals or our primitive forebears. But fundamentally, we still respond to the world as we did when we were cave people. And, and in, in a way, like rival tribesmen, really big club, survival instinct, fight or flight. Typically, unfortunately, back then, fleeing worked. Fleeing was the best way to get away from a rival tribesman with a really big club. Um, these days, fleeing in ski racing 2021 doesn't work so well. You have to fight. So what a routine does, so the three things that we humans don't like is unfamiliarity, unpredictability, and lack of control. Sounds about unfamiliarity, right. <laughs> un unpredictability, lack of control. He's on the Serengeti 250,000 years ago. If we were in that situation, what was the next likely thing that was going to happen? You're going to get attacked. And you're going to die. Exactly, Parker. Right. Right. <laughs> so, so what a routine does, it creates familiarity, predictability, and control. So whatever chaos is going on around you, you go through your routine. I'm familiar with it. I know what's going to happen, and I can control it. And that makes me feel comfortable. It makes me feel confident. And in that state, you can then perform better. You've given us a bunch of tools here already, which are going to be super great for anybody who's listening. What happens if you have somebody that doesn't believe in the mental side? They don't think they need to practice. They don't think it's going to help them. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I, I face that all the time in my work. And, and one thing I can do is try to convince them in terms of I, I can show them the research. I can tell them about the work I do with athletes. And very powerful for me is I tell my own story that I attribute my, my jump in my, in my ski racing entirely to the mental side. I didn't get that much better as a ski racer. Technically, I didn't get that much stronger. It was all in my mind. Um, and then if they don't listen, um, you know, we can talk to world-class skiers like Ask Michaela. She will tell you it's so important. And so every world-class ski racer, every world-class athlete will tell you how important it is. But ultimately, if, you, if they don't buy into it, they're going to suffer. Because the fact is, the higher up you get, the closer everybody is in terms of natural ability. Everybody at, at a high level um, works hard. They've got the best equipment. They're in good physical condition. So it's not it, on, any, on any given day, all those areas that make the difference because they're all relatively close. What matters is who has their mind together. And so they might just have to learn this the hard way. And I've had this happen where, uh, let's say I, I'm asked to work with a young athlete and the parents want me to work with them and the, the kid is just not into it. And they, then they struggle for a couple of years and they come back in a couple of years and go, Jim, I need some help. And so ultimately you need to own it. You need to truly believe it has value. And then you need to be willing to do the work just like you do the conditioning, you put time on the hill, you do work on, on your skis in the tuning room. So if you start to put in the work, a lot of people will normally ask, how long does it take? How long do you start to feel mentally sound? How long does it take for you to be confident, start seeing those results? Yeah, it's a great question, Parker. And the, the challenge with the mental side, it's not tangible. Like going to the gym, 
you put on 20 pounds, you just know you got 20 pounds stronger when you're doing hand cleans or whatever the exercise is. The mental side, it's less clear. But one thing I, I often recommend is having them keep a training log, a mental training log because then they can see, oh yeah, today I was, I was more positive in my imagery. Um, today I was more motivated. I was more relaxed. I was more focused. But over time, you will start to see the differences and it'll start to play out. And what I typically say is it takes um, three to six months to start seeing noticeable differences in your motivation, confidence, focus, intensity. So, but it's just like conditioning. You're not gonna go into the gym for a week and get stronger physically. You're not gonna go out on the hill for a couple of days of training and get better. And so that's probably one of the biggest messages I want to send to, to young athletes and coaches and parents is that you want to approach mental training the same way you do your conditioning and your on-snow training. It's got to be comprehensive. It's got to be structured. It's got to be consistent. And it's got to be periodized, meaning you work on different stuff mentally, just like you work on different stuff physically and technically and tactically, depending upon the time of the, of the, of the year. So I hope that that's the major takeaway that anybody gets from this because it does take time. It takes patience, but it, you put the work in and you'll see the results. So moving a little bit to a different topic right now, mental health is a huge part of the sports world. We're seeing a bunch of athletes really struggle. And it's curious what you think as a sports psychologist, what is causing this? Are they not doing the mental side of training or are they really just getting deflated by the pressure of the sports world? Yeah, um, this whole issue of mental health, Parker, is really central to, um, to the conversation these days because of Simone Biles, because of Naomi Osaka, as well as NBA players, NFL players coming forward and saying, I have mental health challenges. And first of all, I want to point out that we tend to uh, idealize and idolize this, these high-level athletes thinking that they're superhuman, but they're not. I've worked with so many athletes at the highest level of sport, and they're as human as all of us. Now, they've learned to manage them, these issues in some ways, or channel them. But, but as, as someone once said, um, you know, Michaela puts on her speed suit one leg at a time, just like everybody else. And, and one thing I appreciate Michaela is her humanity in, in addition to her incredible mental capabilities. And so I think it's wonderful that we're bringing these issues up because the sort of, sort of mental training things that I do are certainly important, but that's actually the third issue that I deal with um, in, in addressing um, athletes' overall well-being. Um, first, mental health, second, personal development, and third, mental training. And, and they all go hand in hand for sure, because if you have somebody who can become more confident and more comfortable competing, that's going to help their, their personal development, which will help them prepare for later in life. And it'll also help their mental health. And so, so what's most important, I think, is being able to acknowledge that there are challenges. But the fact is, we all have tough times. We all get depressed. We all get anxious. And if it reaches a certain level, it's absolutely important that we get help. And, and there are incredible professionals out there who can help everybody. And the, the research shows that if you struggle with mental health and you do the work, just like mental training, in most cases, you're gonna get better. And, but I think what, what really happens with, with the athletes like a Simone Biles or a Naomi Osaka is the pressure on them is immense. I mean, the weight of the, of, of, of the Japanese nation has been on Osaka's shoulders. Simone Biles, anything less than perfection, than, than gold medals, means an abject failure. And certainly Michaela has experienced this as well. And, and that is, for a robot, not a problem. For a human being, problem. And so, you know, Simone Biles has been under the spotlight for so many years. She's been the GOAT, the greatest of all times. The expectations have been so high. And it was just too much for her. And, and I so respect um, her courage and her willingness to do what's best for her. 
because like in ski racing, um, gymnastics, if you're not all there, it's not going to go well. You know, you can fake it in golf or tennis and other sports because you just play badly, but the chance of injury or, or, or worse are pretty small. But in high risk sports like ski racing, you've got to be all there because if you're not, it's not going to turn out well. Yeah, no, it's definitely been a topic of conversation. It's really great to get your insight because here we have these incredible athletes and we have kids too that feel like they have a lot of pressure and definitely not probably to the same extent of the entire world on your shoulders, but you still feel pressure. And so anybody who needs help, don't feel afraid to reach out to anybody. It is not a weakness. It is just how you grow in strength. And so I think that that's a really important conversation to always be having that mental health is something that is very serious and you should take seriously. Absolutely, Parker. And in fact, we're seeing it more and more. The, the, the academies are, are playing, paying much more attention to the mental health of, of their student athletes and, and the ski programs as well and parents as well. Because the reality is, Parker, if you're lucky, you're going to be a ski racer. If you're really lucky till maybe you're 35. If you're moderately lucky to even 22 or 23 through college, you're a little luckier than most since you're continuing the dream. Um, but for most, you know, it's going to end maybe after high school or maybe college. And so, but then you've got this whole other life, the rest, you know, the another 50, 60, 70 years of your life. And so, you know, having all the successes in the world, and I've seen this with athletes I've worked with, gold medals, multi, multi-million dollar contracts, fame and fortune. But if you're not happy, if you're not at peace with yourself, if you struggle, it's not worth it. And so, so the first and foremost mental health and then how you can develop as the best person you can be, the best version of yourself you can be. And then of course, yes, I want the athletes I work with to be incredibly successful as athletes because I want to support their goals, but none of that can happen until they have that foundation of mental health and, be, and being together at that very basic level. Well, Jim, it has been a pleasure to be able to talk to you and get some of this information and really just share it out there, because I do believe that some people miss this part of the sport completely. And so I hope that the SYNC community you really enjoyed this uh, conversation with Jim. And Jim, thank you so much for your time. And I hope that if anybody thought that this was something that they're interested in learning more about, please check out Dr. Jim Taylor's website. And you can get information on there and even set up some sessions if you want some personal training yourself. Um, but thank you again and good luck with everything going on. And we look forward to talking to you soon. Very good, Parker. I really enjoyed myself. Take care. Thank you.